when faith-based organizations and leaders put the kingdom of God above their organization's mission, what happens? What is possible when women and men pursue collaboration over competition and alliances over divisions? This is the Rooting for Rivals podcast, a six-episode series released in coordination with the new book, Rooting for Rivals, by Peter Greer and Chris Horst with Jill Heisey. Well, welcome to episode five of the Rooting for Rivals podcast, the fifth episode in a short series highlighting leaders pursuing collaboration over competition. In this episode, we look at open-handedness in local churches through the lens of Brian Dunnigan in Highland Park Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. Brian has made it a priority to build relationships with leaders of other churches in his community and gives an honest account of how he's grown from seeing a new church down the street as a threat to becoming friends and allies with the lead pastor. But before we get into that interview with Brian, I've got the co-authors of Rooting for Rivals here once again, Peter Greer and Chris Horst. Peter, will you share a little bit more about Brian and why he's on the show today? Well, I am uh, so grateful for Brian. He's been a friend for many years. Uh, We initially got together at a Young Leaders uh, Forum when we were both young leaders. I don't think we qualify uh, for that anymore, but that started a friendship and I've been so grateful for Brian. And and there's a couple things that I appreciate uh, with Brian. And the first piece is his honesty. Uh, Even though he is a pastor of a very large church, uh, there is a, a realism about him, and he's not afraid to tell the truth, and we're going to hear that in the conversation, both with the successes and with some of the challenges. But I also appreciate about Brian is that he knows that his mission is not just about the church where he is working. He is someone that I've continuously seen uh, point all of us to Jesus, to the grander mission, to the grander purpose that we have. And because of that belief, then to be creative about how do we join with others. And so I am so glad that we're going to be able to listen in on this conversation with our friend, Brian Dunnigan. Well, as the pastor of Highland Park Presbyterian Church, Brian is passionate about helping people of every generation find and follow Jesus and for the flourishing of Dallas. He grew up in Texas and attended Stanford University, where he played lacrosse and discovered his love for the outdoors. He holds graduate degrees from Regent College in Vancouver and Fuller Seminary in Southern California. Before his role at Highland Park, Brian was the teaching pastor of Atlanta's Peachtree Church. He serves on the advisory boards of Fuller Seminary, Texas, and advocates for community transformation. He and his wife, Allie, have three kids. And here is the encouraging and convicting conversation with Brian Dunnigan. Well, Brian, first, thanks so much for for being on the show. The first question I have for you is about the theology of putting God's kingdom first. So I wonder how you're teaching your congregation about what it means to join together toward building God's kingdom on earth. Well, it's a a great question. And um, it's definitely one that we... um, we wrestle with a lot, and I feel like in a lot of ways I'm learning more from um, people who are on the front lines of, of engaging challenges in the city of Dallas than I do as a pastor. And so I'm, I'm learning from my church, but uh, we are a bit more of a, 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 a traditional mainline congregation where uh, part of our routine on a weekly basis when we come together is is to pray the Lord's Prayer. And, um you know, every week we, we have this line and we say this together, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I think just trying to figure out how do we live that out uh, Monday through Friday in, in the real world. That's, that's the challenge that we have as a church, and that's probably how we try to teach it. Um, one of the, I think one of the rally cries for us as a church is just constantly um, praying that prayer um, your kingdom come in Dallas as it is in heaven, in Dallas as it is in heaven. Um, that this city that we've been planted in for about a hundred years should, it should look different. It should be a different place and it should actually look a little bit more like heaven because of Highland Park Presbyterian Church or because of Watermark Church or um, all of these congregations that God has planted, these little outposts of the kingdom in a city like Dallas. We're really collaborating together um, so that our city that we love uh, would look a little bit more like heaven. Mm, I love that. And I'm, I'm wondering even about your own personal journey towards, towards operating from a place of wanting to collaborate with others. Have you always thought about it in the same way? Uh, I mean, what's your journey been like in that process of rooting for your rivals? Well, I think, and, and I, um, I, I've, love this idea of rooting for rivals and, and, um, it's not necessarily something that, uh, came natural for me in the same way that it's not at all natural for my four-year-old twins who are constantly, uh, not rooting for their particular rival. But, um, but along the way as somebody who probably has a bit of a competitive edge, um, I, I think, becoming a Christian. And then, uh, you know, when I was in university, uh, beginning to think about ministry and, and realizing that the, uh, the, the way of Jesus and what you see in his teaching and, and what he modeled and, and how he talked about the kingdom of God, which is what he talked about more than anything else, that, um, there really is sort of this laying down of, of, of my own winning. And that's actually, uh, how you win together as a, as a church or as a community or as a family is, is when you're willing to lay that down. And, um, I, I guess I can share a little bit about, um, in ministry and as a pastor uh, beginning to, to see this. And it was one thing to, to talk about it or to tell other people to root for their rivals. Uh, it was something else maybe to have to experience that for the first time in my own, in my own ministry. Should you want me to share a little bit about that? That would be great. So, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I, uh, was sort of first starting out as a, as a pastor, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, and there was a new church plant that was starting up um, just down the street in, in Atlanta. And, um, and there was a lot of overlap in terms of community and friendships and, and even just the, the tribe of churches that I'm a part of. And, and um, I just remember as a relatively young pastor, really excited about leading and, and the church that I was serving. Um, it was surprisingly hard for me. Um, to think about and to be excited about this um, this new church plant uh, where um, that wasn't that far down the road, and I remember there were nights when I mean the anxiety was was just surprising how much it had a hold of me, and and um, you know sometimes at two o'clock in the morning things tend to get a little exaggerated, and I remember playing out in my mind like what do I do if no one shows up to church the next morning? Cause they're all going to go to this great new church plant. And, and, you know, my own wife is probably going to want to go to this church cause it's way cooler and I'm still wearing robes and this guy's going to be a hipster and it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> and, and, 
you know, I just, I remember really struggling with that and, and trying to figure out what to do, uh, with the honesty of that. And, um, somewhere in the midst of that, I remember it, it was almost like it had to be, there was a choice and I was given this choice. Like, am I going to try and sort of compete with this new community? Uh, or am I going to choose even against kind of what I'm feeling somewhere in my, maybe my jaded heart to be open-handed with friends and, uh, members of my church and people in our community who just have this sense that what is going on in this new outpost in our city, uh, that they feel like they need to be a part of helping launch this and that that's going to be best for them. And, and I just remember kind of this, a little bit of this decision of like, are you, are you going to be open handed, um, or close fisted with these people that you have been entrusted to lead for this season? Um, and, uh, and I actually remember calling up this church planner. We didn't know each other that well, but we had a ton of mutual friends. And right around this time, we went out and we got coffee. And I remember uh, confessing this to him and just saying, I, want, I really want you to know how excited I am about what you're doing. And I'm honestly worried that everyone from my church is going to want to go. Maybe I'll want to go. Uh, but but I just wanted you to know that and that I'm praying through this and I'm and God's working on this uh, and that I'm just committed to celebrating you as a leader and your church. And if people come from the church that I'm serving right now to help launch this with you, I'm going to be excited about that and just want you to know that. And it was really cool because it led to a, a totally new level of honesty between us both. And he described some of his own challenges with that. And um, and I, I don't, looking back, want to over-spiritualize that or make it sound too sacred, but I feel like it was one of those defining moments in ministry. And, um, and again, I don't want to make that a prosperity gospel kind of thing, but somehow in God's economy, I think the willingness of leaders or pastors to be open-handed and to bless what's happening in other outposts of the kingdom, God blesses that. And I think for our church, the church that I was serving at the time, it was actually almost this turning point where we experienced a time of sustained growth like we hadn't seen before. And and I guess the postscript to that, um, I, in the last few years, I've come to help lead this church in Dallas. And it was really a church that had been in decline for a number of years. And one way of looking at it, I could have come in just overwhelmed. Like if I'm thinking this is a zero-sum kind of competition that we were getting crushed by the competition and churches all around us were growing and thriving and reaching new people for Jesus. But somehow that awareness just wasn't as much a concern to me the way it might have been, I don't know, earlier on in my ministry. And, um, and by the way, that pastor of that church plant, which was amazingly successful, it's a beautiful community making a real difference in the, in the city of Atlanta. But the pastor of that church has become one of my most trusted friends in ministry. And we're still learning a ton from each other to this day. And, and, and I'm really grateful for that friendship. Hmm, that's amazing. And, and it seems like across all different sectors and types of leaders who are leading all kinds of different ministries, one of the common denominators of people who root for their rivals really well is their willingness to develop strong relationships with leaders of other organizations. And that's obviously a, a huge part of your journey. And that's led you into a place of being able to be open-handed in your current church now. And I wonder about Highland Park Presbyterian Church today. 
What does it look like for your congregation, for your church to pursue collaboration with other churches in Dallas and beyond practically just on a day-to-day basis or in some of the initiatives that you're, you're going for? What does that look like today? Well, that's a great question. And one of the most encouraging things about the city of Dallas is that there are, there are just these vibrant, um, thoughtful, innovative churches that are working really hard to make an impact uh, in our neighborhoods and our surrounding communities and in a larger city and, and the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. And so just the chance to learn from, uh, to come under the influence of some of these other great churches and and um, to, to then collaborate together to address some of the significant challenges in our city. And there are a lot of significant challenges. It's been a lot of fun. And we're learning together. There is a growing spirit of collaboration in this city. Um, and, you know, for us, kind of on a, on a, on a regular basis, um, we as a church, recognize that Dallas is, is a pretty, can be a pretty divided city. It's one of the most divided major cities in America across socioeconomic, racial, demographic lines. And, and our church, along with other churches in the city, are, are recognizing that maybe we've been a little bit behind on this as, as a church, as, in terms of, of the movement of, of Christian churches in Dallas. And so more conversations are taking place around how can we rally together to address some of these major crises around education and affordable housing and racial justice and reconciliation. Um, for, for us at Highland Park Presbyterian Church, um, we have uh, we found that that uh, learning from and coming under great uh, Christ-centered nonprofits is one of the most effective ways for us just to to be able to collaborate with other churches and, and, and so letting great nonprofits that have great leaders and uh, and are doing amazing things, letting them lead the way and our support of them and engagement with them as they invite us into their projects that we end up being able to serve alongside some amazing congregations in the city. And then it allows us to then begin to kind of cross some of these uh, rivalries, if you will, uh, between different churches in um, even just the North Dallas area. I wonder even with specific to churches, if there's any unique challenges to collaboration that maybe it could, could apply to nonprofits or other types of organizations, but do you see any unique challenges to churches specifically in, in the role of collaboration there? Well, I think that, and, and this, again, this may not be unique to churches, but anytime we approach this from a scarcity mindset and we begin to we begin to worry that somehow there is a limited number of, I don't know, fully engaged, very um, resourceful people who want to support their churches. And, and I think we begin to miss the point as soon as we buy into that, that, that somehow the church is a zero-sum game. Um, but we also tend to kind of focus on the minors and, and, uh, major on the minors between little theological differences or differences in how we engage culture, differences in posture. Uh, one church may be more freewheeling when it comes to engaging political conversations in our day. And, um, I've got another friend who helps lead a church and his board has just made it really clear. We don't talk about anything that could be considered political. And so, 
seeking to collaborate together to engage some of the issues, you know, in, in our particular city. Uh, it can create some challenges when you have these different approaches or different expectations from your congregations um, about, you know, what is what is okay for us to be talking about and wrestling with, and or or some of those theological differences and. Um, and it's kind of funny about the the, the, the theological uh, divides that that we have sometimes focused on. Um, I remember hearing um, a guy named Father Renero Cantalamessa, and he's actually he's the official preacher to the Pope, which sounds like a crazy job. But um, it, he was talking to uh, this this room full of Protestants and Catholics who were trying to figure out how can we collaborate more together and not be rivals as much in the work that we're doing to, um, to expand God's kingdom. And, and he basically said, look, in an increasingly post-Christian world, um, the world outside the church doesn't really identify or bother with our divisions and rivalries. In fact, they just think we're basically one church. And they think we're all equally irrelevant, so we might as well start seeking the unity that even our persecutors have already assumed about us. And I just remember uh, what an aha thing for me that was to realize that people outside the church, they don't really care about these little things that we tend to get all bowed up and concerned about. Um, that differentiate us as different churches. And so if they look at us as one, we might as well start acting like one in our engagement with and response to some of the brokenness in our cities. Hmm. Yeah. And I think if, if a church leader is listening to you to share this, I think in all of us, there's a desire to agree and to want to see collaboration happen. Um, but I imagine that somebody's listening, they're leading a church and a church plant similar to the one in Atlanta has shown up down the street and they're having those moments where they're wrestling with these inner feelings of competition, even if they don't want them to be there. And for that person who's, who is desiring this, but doesn't know exactly what steps to take, you know, what are some of the, the practical things that, that church leaders specifically can do to start making moves towards other church leaders and other congregations in their city? Well, I think somehow, at least for me, um, getting face to face and spending more time uh, with different church leaders in the city of Dallas, and um, and uh, you know, I, I think about probably my closest friend who is a pastor here in in the city, and and um, you know, for the last three years that I've been here, we've met about once a month to uh, just to have lunch and to get to know each other and to pray for each other, and. And, um, and he has become just this amazing uh, friend and mentor and just the, the wisdom that he has around church leadership and dealing with some of the, uh, some of the, the challenges, which for me is, as someone who's really growing into my role as a, as a lead pastor of this church, has been invaluable. Um, I guess the crazy thing, and it's, it really doesn't sound crazy to me anymore, but um, but uh, he pastors the church that 25 years ago was a split from the church that I lead now. Wow. And, um, and so a huge part of the story of the church that I lead, again, it's been around Highland Park Press for about 100 years. But um, 25 years ago, uh, one Sunday, literally half the church left to start. Um, a rival church literally down the road. And again, it was, uh, it was, there were some significant issues and theological divides that, that led to that. 
Uh, and it was, it was deeply painful and I never want to uh, sound like I'm minimizing that. Um, but, uh, but now to be in this place where there are these two amazing sister congregations in the city, walking in step, um, learning, learning how to be a part of what God's doing in our city, supporting the same nonprofits, the same uh, mission, missional initiatives. We exchange best practices around church planning and reaching the next generation. And now their senior pastor is my closest colleague in ministry in the city, and I'm learning so much from him. And I just, I feel like people can look at our story as now these two churches and can say there really is an opportunity um, to see how um, something at, that at one point maybe felt like a rivalry or felt like there was some kind of a competition. It's just this, is, is this great gift uh, mm. to the city of Dallas. It's amazing. And I, I'm curious about even your prayer life when you're praying, when you're praying about this topic, when you're praying about collaboration, when you're praying for other churches, uh, I'd love to get some insight into what those prayers are. What are you praying for when you're praying for other churches in Dallas? Well, just uh, I guess on a personal level, when it comes to to, to praying through this, uh, one of the greatest influences for me um, has been a guy named Dallas Willard, and he was a professor in the um, in my grad school, and I spent two weeks in a monastery with uh, Dallas Willard as he was teaching this class to to pastors, and and um, he talked about competition and rivalry between churches and and pastors and. And I remember he said he prayed specifically uh, in his in his career, his vocation. He was a writer and a speaker and uh, a real influence for the church. And he he talked about praying for the books of his colleagues to be more successful than his own books. That when he spoke at a conference, he would pray for the other speakers to receive more attention than he did. Um, and in an age of, you know, copywriting, he urged people, including me to use his material freely and without citing his name. Uh, and he talked about this almost as a spiritual practice of serving, praying for your rivals that in a weird way, it was actually a kind of love for enemies. And, um, and then his challenge was that when you pray for your competitors, don't tell anyone you're doing it so that you don't any, get any credit for doing something that kind of sounds spiritually superior. But, um, Again, not to over-spiritualize this, but it seems like the more a guy like Dallas Willard prayed for the ministry of others to be blessed, the more God blessed his own ministry. And and so I guess in my own life, it's just, um, it is choosing to pray that um, the churches that maybe I look at as really thriving and growing and doing really creative things to reach new people, um, that I would pray for them to be successful, incredibly successful, uh, to flourish. And I think a part of that is going to be acknowledging when there's jealousy, when there's envy, uh, in my own heart and not trying to kind of hide from that. And when I get the opportunity to have those conversations with them, to be able to, to name that at times and, uh, for us to encourage each other in that. Uh, I think has been, I think has been helpful, uh, even though I continue, uh, to learn, uh, the challenge of, of having this sort of spirit of collaboration over, uh, just competition. Hmm. The last question for you, Brian, is about, um, just giving you a platform to, to root for a rival in Dallas. So you have the opportunity now to share about just a church that you support in Dallas and why, why you love what they're doing. Well, one of the churches that 
that um, we continue to learn a ton about in, in the city of Dallas. And we were talking earlier before the show that um, uh, Watermark has just had uh, such an impact recently in, in recent years here in the Dallas area. And and um, just the, the commitment they have uh, to helping people put the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of scriptures into practice in their everyday lives. And, and, and just as a, as a, a church in the area, um, we have been really blessed by, um, by some of the innovations that they've, uh, how they've approached ministry and, and, um, and kind of seeing through some of the cultural Christianity in Dallas. That's, that's been super helpful for us as a congregation. Um, even watching the ways that they help strengthen marriages and, and how they, uh, equip the next generation and do things like kids ministry and student ministry and, and reaching singles in the city of Dallas. And, and I'm just so thankful for, uh, for the leadership of Todd Wagner and, uh, for Watermark and the community there and, and, and genuinely feel like Dallas looks a little bit more like heaven because of a church like Watermark Community Church. Peter, Chris, Brian is modeling a posture of encouraging others and is seeking the kingdom of God in Dallas. What are some of the things that you see in Brian's insights that made an impact on you? One thing Brian modeled in his journey was was how naming those dark and I don't know, kind of shameful feelings and thoughts that we have, then naming those really strips the power away from it. And you, you heard that in how he approached that new pastor in Atlanta and said, hey, I'm embarrassed to say this, but this is how I'm feeling. And and I've noticed in my own professional journey that when I've shared those moments where I've, you know, in, in whether it's with donor relationships or staff relationships, where I've said the thing, kind of the worst things that I was fearing or feeling that again, there's boundaries within, you know, vulnerability and having effective, like appropriate and effective boundaries is certainly something I appreciate and recommend. But in this sense, it just, it diffused the power of this vice over Brian's life of, of really this fear that he had about what might happen if this new church opened up down the street or when this new church opened up down the street. And and I think that there's an opportunity here for all of us in those moments when, you know, I, I think of being a, uh, putting together table, um, tables at a, a banquet and, and we throw hope banquets and breakfasts all over the country every month of the year. And, and it's easy when we're putting together tables to put all the nonprofit fundraisers at one table with each other because we don't want, we're, we're afraid that they might poach a donor that's coming to one of our events and, and donors listening into this might think, wow, that is terrible. That's something that actually happens, but it's, you know, for every organization, I'll tell you, I guarantee you that they're thinking about that, even if they are proactively planning it. Uh, and, and that's, I think, you know, one of those things that's shameful, it's embarrassing that we do that, but it's, it's important that, that we say it and we publicly name it because as we say these things, I think it, it really strips away the power. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other pieces that I so appreciate in terms of practical uh, application of some of the things that Brian shared uh, was his conversation with Dallas Willard and and really the question of how much time, how much energy are we praying for others? 
Um, and then again, that example of Dallas Willard to be completely open-handed, to open source all of his information saying anything here, please take and use. And then literally when he shows up at events, uh, to be asking God to give more attention, more focus on the other individuals that are there. <laughs> and, uh, I, I want to, I want to, I want to not just do that. I want that to be my heart posture, literally show up at those events and not begrudgingly, but joyfully say, God, would you please uh, focus uh, the highlight on these other individuals and to do that in a way that is, is truthful, is honest, and, and is the heart posture in that. Um, I know that it is more common for me when I am done with a talk uh, to obsess around what I said wrong or what I uh, think would have been a more effective way of communicating. And I just love this whole conversation is about let's get the focus off of ourselves. Let's get the focus off of how we feel um, and let's ask God to be actively moving and blessing other leaders and other organizations. So I think one of the practical takeaways is how much time are we actively praying for God's blessing on other organizations, other churches that are all around us? It, it was Augustine who said that the three most important virtues for the Christian are humility, humility, and humility. And and I think about what you're sharing, Peter, and what we heard from Brian. And it's unless unless we are willing to come to terms with the fact that we are craven, prideful humans apart from God's redemptive work in our lives, uh, we're going to consistently default to ourselves and default to how we did, how we're doing, what we're about, what we're writing, the next project we're launching. And we'll miss what God has for us. And we'll miss where we're called to minister and where we're called to celebrate others and where we're called to mourn, where we're called to cheer someone on or offer a word of encouragement or affirmation because we just sink into our own world. And, and so I think uh, Brian really modeled that well and has modeled that well in the way he's led. Yeah. And, and imagine the impact on a community if the watching world would see a group of churches coming together and uh, different denominations, uh, perhaps differing opinions on, on certain uh, uh, different uh, beliefs or practices. But the watching world saw a group of people that has Jesus in common. And because of that, they say, that's enough. Um, and imagine the impact, not just on a church, but imagine an impact of a community. If that were the default position of churches actively seeking to do what would be best for each other, uh, and to imagine what would happen if there were grander missions, launched grander initiatives that would not be possible by one church in a community, but only by a collaborative effort. And I have been so grateful for the way that I have seen Brian do that. And our hope is that uh, that sort of posture of partnership among churches, uh, it would continue to grow and we'd have many more of those types of examples to celebrate. Thank you for listening to the Rooting for Rivals podcast. Rooting for Rivals is a book by Peter Greer and Chris Horst with Jill Heisey that reveals how faith-based ministries can multiply their impact by cooperating rather than competing with others. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. For more information about this episode, including links to resources mentioned in the show, visit www.rootingforrivals.com podcast.